People think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk. We're still here on the PEP program training in El Segundo, California. We have a really interesting guest coming up. Bobby Walker. He has a fascinating story because one of the things that happens in the kidney community, and it's not really spoken about, is um, there is addiction. Patients who are alcoholics and addicts, and well, just, you know, just like every part of the world, exactly. You know? And yeah. it's really hard to to figure out how do you get sober, how do you stop taking drugs. My mom's a recovered alcoholic. She's been sober for over twenty years. So. Twenty years sober. So, what do you feel like when you drink massively in front of her? <laughs> All those pina oh, coladas. And... I know. I mean, yes. Um, I'm no, such a rush over here. It was difficult because when I was growing up, I saw my mom and I saw my dad and I saw so many people in my family who had drinking problems. And I often thought, you know, wow, I'm glad I have kidney disease because I believe alcoholism and drug addiction is an illness just like kidney disease is. And it's it's so that's cunning very controversial, and though. You know, a lot of people don't believe that. Well, that's my belief because I yeah. would see how my family would struggle. Some of my family members wanted to stay sober so bad they would do all types of things to you know go to treatment centers. They would uh, check into different programs. And luckily, my mom became sober through Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm very grateful to that program. And I think it has a lot to do with what RSN is doing. They provide a support network for people in a and I think that's a big part of coping. Right. That's a great program, that 12-step program. Yes. Because there, I know my only addiction was overeating, mm-hmm. and I went to Overeaters Anonymous uh, for a while. Did it help yeah. you? No, not really. That one didn't help me very much. What because, helped you? Well, because they, they serve snacks there. <laughs> You the know. donuts didn't help, huh? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> that was but, how they got people to the meetings. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, they I, promised you donuts. <laughs> but it is. It's such a serious issue. And right. I know and a lot of imagine, people out there are dealing with addiction and trying to dialyze. Can you imagine being a kidney patient and having to dialyze and worry about your meds and also and being a drug or alcoholic? Well, then being on a fluid limit and being an alcoholic, that would be oh difficult. You would have to I go with I never even thought of that. When we come back, we're going <laughs> to speak with Bobby Walker, and he's going to tell us all about his struggles with addiction, alcoholism, and being a kidney patient. Okay, okay. Think happy, positive thoughts. Happy, positive thoughts. Rainbows, puppies, and chocolate. Rainbows, puppies, and chocolate. Rainbows, puppies, and chocolate. Here we go. Rainstorms, pit bulls, and cheap candy. Are you tired of tape burns, infections, and embarrassing slips of your PD catheter? Hurricanes, coyotes, and old fish sticks. I know she is. There's a revolutionary new product for dialysis patients developed by a dialysis patient. The PD security band will hold your catheter in place without using tape, helps prevent infections, and is custom made to fit your own body shape and size. It's long-lasting, affordable, and best part is, it's comfortable. For more details and get to your own PD security band, log on to www.patientpride.com. Oh, tsunamis, rabies, and food poisoning. Like I said, that's www.patientpride.com. I haven't had a drink in 19 
My eyes are clear and bright without that haze. I like the preacher from the Church of Christ. Sorry that I cried when I talked to you last night. I think I'm on a roll here in Little Rock. I'm solid. Well, Bobby, we're so glad to have you here today. Yes, Bobby, he traveled all the way from Arkansas. Little Rock, Arkansas. Can you believe that? You know, is there a Big Rock, Arkansas, or is it just always Little Rock? It is a Big Rock across the river. There is. And what's the name of that city? Big Rock, Arkansas. It's called Big Rock, Arkansas. (laughs) Wow. Oh, my gosh. Well, Bobby, tell us a little bit about your history. Well, my history uh, with chronic kidney disease is I was diagnosed in uh, 2002 with chronic kidney disease. And what caused your chronic kidney disease? Did they get, were you diabetic or how, how did you get chronic kidney disease? No, actually it was uh, my hypertension, my blood marriage, but I tell everybody it was from a bad marriage, but it was actually... <laughs> bad marriage? Actually, it was from my high blood pressure. That's the reason why I uh, That's you why know, you had kidney failure, a bad marriage? Yes. Well, it was actually my hypertension. Oh, okay. So you just had a little bit well, of his anger bad going marriage gave on. Him yeah, hypertension. I got it, I got it. Okay. <laughs> when you had kidney disease, you found out about it. How did you find out you had kidney disease? Well, my former background is I was a pretty bad alcoholic and uh, abused drugs a lot, and... Well, one, you have something in common with Lori then. One night I got intoxicated and I fell through a glass coffee table and I had to rush to the hospital and they done some blood work on me because my blood pressure was real high and they done some blood work and they found out my blood pressure was through the roof and they done some more tests and found out that my kidneys were shutting down at the time and I had no idea that I was going through those problems with my with my kidneys. Did they tell you what your creatinine was or they told me, but at the time, I wasn't. I was still intoxicated. And I can't and remember. They the told you, number. but you thought it was your DUI thing, right? Right, right. Well, how long were you drinking and using, and what kind of drinks or drugs did you use? Well, I've been I've been abusing drugs and alcohol from an early age. I say from 13, 12, 13 years on oh, up wow. to now. You know, and right now I'm at the age. 48, but I was, in 2002, I was, you know, 44 years old, 45, 43 years old, you know. So it was just so. A, a way you grew up, was it's, it? It was my culture I grew up in. I don't know if y'all heard about this HBO movie, Banging in the Rock, you know. It was a HBO movie came out, and I was part of that culture, you know, and <clears throat> this is part of the way I grew up in. And so you were basically high all the time? Pretty much, pretty much. So when you found out that you had kidney disease... I mean, how could you comprehend it? Were you even sober to understand, or was it because you were in the hospital and they weren't giving you any medication that you came aware that you had a problem? I always knew I had a problem with drugs and alcohol, but I just, at the time, I just, my brain just wouldn't function right to, you know, it was a problem to get off drugs and alcohol, but at the time, I was, basically, that's all I knew. You know, I grew up doing that, and that's basically all I knew, I, only the way I knew how to live. And by being diagnosed with chronic kidney disease, I found out that, you know, it's, a, it's time to wake up because mm-hmm. I found out this could be the end of my life. And you probably didn't know the symptoms of kidney disease because you just feel lousy, and you probably feel lousy when you wake up in the morning after you were drunk the night before. Right. I thought it was just a hangover. I had no idea it was from anemia or anything else. I just thought it was just and a And you're bad real hangover. tired all the time. Correct, and- correct. 
Right, exactly. So, so you were told you had to go on dialysis. Did they put a catheter in you and um, start you right away? Yeah, they put a catheter in me. I started dialysis about a week after I got diagnosed. Really? That soon? And did they put a fistula in you and wait, was waiting for it to mature? And... Uh, they put a fistula in about, about, uh, about a month after I started dialysis. And so when did you decide to get sober after you went to the dialysis unit? Tell us your experience. When I first walked into the dialysis unit, you know, I had no training or knew anything about dialysis. So I walked in this room and I saw people stretched out and laid out and I didn't know what I was getting into. And But what really woke me up was this guy I was sitting next to doing dialysis, I thought he was missing his dialysis treatment. Mm -hmm. And come to find out, he wasn't coming back. He had died from uh, chronic kidney disease. And well, that, like so many people in dialysis right, units, a right. lot of them, when you walk in there, nobody can prepare you. There's not a pamphlet, there's not a support group. Nobody can really prepare you for the way it feels when you walk into that dialysis room for the first time and you see all those elderly, elderly people, just, they seem to be barely hanging on. That's great. You know, but then you become friends with them. Right. <laughs> and then, you know, one day you come in and they're not there. Right, exactly. And so that, that, a light bulb went off my head and said, I got to do something about my life. So you were still drinking after you were on dialysis? I, for about, about a month after, you know, I was still drinking and drugging and doing the same thing, but... Did it be that regimented? No, it wasn't. You it know, wasn't, no, because it wasn't. you knew that was your lifeline. I knew that was my lifeline. Right. So you would show up on time, right. and what, when you were on dialysis, what made you to say, wow, I need to get sober? Yeah, what made you hit bottom, which is what I, you know, because I, I, I'm an addict with food. And I knew that I had to hit bottom before I decided to lose weight. So what made you hit bottom? What was the day? Well, like I said, when I, when I saw people not coming back, and I didn't want to be one of those people, and so I decided to clean my life up, and I reached out for help. So you went to, like, a program? I went to, a, to Alcoholics Anonymous. But, but no rehab center where you were no, inpatient no, or anything? No. That must have been very hard to do it kind of by yourself. It was hard, you know, because at the time... When I found out I had chronic kidney disease, my wife, she had uh, she couldn't deal with disease. And so I was kind of going through this all by myself. Now, she could deal with the drugs and alcohol, but she, but she could not deal did, with kidney disease. She, she That's did she use drugs and alcohol as well? Yes, I did. No, no, she, no, she, no she didn't. No, she didn't. Oh, okay. But no. she knew you were using Right, right. And so once you got sober... How did you stay sober? How um, You went to an AA meeting. Did you find a sponsor? I got me a sponsor, and uh, I had a real good sponsor. And the main thing I kept thinking about was that guy next to me that didn't mm -hmm. come back. That was the main thing that was in my head, because we had got to be pretty close. What was his name? His name was David. David. And uh, David and I got to be real close, and he was, he was going to his treatments, but he just stopped coming. And I... Thought maybe he had missed one day, and then the next day, next uh, time he wasn't there also, and so I asked the nurse what happened to him, and they didn't know, and they found him in his house. He was dead. He had been dead wow. for three or four days, and one know it. Wow, that's pretty wow. interesting. Like, you'd think that they would call, you know, if he missed his dialysis or right. something like that. Yeah. Well, if they don't answer, you know, what are they going to do? Send the police over to get you? Well, that's true. You that's know, true. it really shows if you don't have family who cares right. about you, it's just, it's really difficult. Well, tell us about what it was like. So here you are, you decide to make a decision, you go to an AA meeting. What kept you sober, like day after day? I mean, with kidney disease, you get depressed, and that was your crutch. Alcohols and drugs were your crutch. Right. How did you transform that? I remember that day I walked in the, in the dialysis center, 
and I knew I didn't have no support. And so I kept seeing other people coming into the center, and I knew how they felt because I had felt the same way. And so I reached out to my um, my APN and asked her, could I help other patients? You know, that was my therapy because I know if I was drinking and drugging, I wouldn't be able to help them. So that kept me uh, something in my mind that I need to be sober to help other patients. So you finally realized that you were valuable and you could right. use your life to help others. And Correct. that was the turning point. That was the turning and point. And the motivation right. that made you say, look, I can do this right. day in and day out. Wow, when, yeah, when we come back, this is so fascinating. This is like, uh, you know, watching a, a reality television show, you know, <laughs> that, like court TV. Have you, have you ever been locked up because of your drugs and alcohol? No, I haven't. Oh, you're so lucky. Yeah, I am very you know? lucky. I'm very because we lucky. could all sing like that Bad Boys song. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Driving a cab in a Big Apple could really get on your nerves. With all the traffic, the noises, the rude drivers. Oh, watch where you're going, wise guy. Get some glasses. Oh, where was I? Oh, yeah, the rude drivers. There's one thing I wish was a little louder or not so quiet. Secondary hyperparathyroidism. I know it's a big word, but you know what? It's a big problem. It's often referred to as a silent disease. I didn't even know what I had until I experienced weakness, achy bones, itchy skin, and sexual dysfunction. But you didn't hear that last one from me. Some people call it the bone disease because of the loss of too much phosphorus and calcium. But what you don't know, Mr. Smarty Pants, is that it also affects soft tissue like the heart, the lungs, the blood vessels, bada bing, bada boom, and that's about everything. So don't be a wise guy. Wise up and talk to your doctor about the big boy. Secondary hyperparathyroidism. Whoa, for crying out loud, do me a favor, Grandma. Get off the road and throw away your keys. And now it's time to... Ask the nephrologist. How long can I live on dialysis? And here's Dr. Alan Nissenson with the answer. Life expectancy is always one of these things that uh, is better predicted with a crystal ball than with science. And if you sit down with your doctor, you can look up on a bunch of charts what somebody age 50 with diabetes starting on dialysis, what the average life expectancy is. Um, what I think is a better way to think about this is that nobody knows how long anyone's going to live. And any number that I could give you off a statistical chart is just a statistic. It applies to a large population of patients. You could live longer, you could live shorter. And I don't find that terribly useful discussion. There are numbers for people who are obsessed with knowing numbers. Um, and I think what's fair to say is that the older you are when you start, the less impact being on dialysis has on your life expectancy, since obviously uh, your life expectancy is going to be driven by your age more than it is by your kidney disease. The younger you are, the more the kidney disease is really going to influence your survival. And if you're very young, if you start have to start dialysis when you're 20 or 30, then life expectancy is more like someone who's 70 or 80 than it is like someone who's 30. And that's a challenge to the scientists working on the whole problem of kidney failure to understand why does a 30-year-old, just because they have kidney failure, look from a heart point of view and from a life expectancy point of view like an 80-year-old. That's not 
obvious from a scientific point of view, and that's probably the major focus of research right now in the area of early kidney disease. But all one can honestly say is that if you didn't have kidney disease and you weren't on dialysis, you for sure would have a longer life expectancy, barring getting run over by a bus or something, but in terms of from normal medical conditions. So yes, it shortens life. There's no question about it. Uh, but how much is not just dependent on looking at a bunch of charts. It's also dependent on how well you participate in your care because the better you can control your diet, your blood pressure, the amount of fluid you take in between treatments, the better the outcome is going to be and the longer you're going to live. And those are things that are under the patient's control. The Ask the Nephrologist segment of this program is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition. The Renal Support Network and the Renal Physicians Association make no representations or warranties and provide no guarantees of any kind as to the accuracy of any information provided during the Ask the Nephrologist segment. Bobby Walker, what are you doing now? Right now, I'm uh, a volunteer coordinator for my OPO. That's my organ procurement organization. Those people that organize the transplants in Arkansas. Oh, what's the name of that organization? It's called Aurora. It's A-R-O-R-A. One thing we haven't let the listeners know is that after you were on dialysis, how long were you on dialysis? I was on dialysis for three years. And then you got called for a transplant. I did get called for a transplant, and it was uh, a good day of my life, January 24, 2005. Where were you? I was at church. You were at church? Wow. I was at and church. And your, and your, your prayers were answered, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At all places, I was at church, yeah. And how long had you been sober when you got called for the transplant? I had been sober right at three years, but a little mm-hmm. under three years. Like I said, I, I drank and drugged about a month while I was on dialysis. One of the things that I'm curious about is, and I'm very familiar with alcoholism and drug addiction, not because of I have a problem, but my family does, and I know that I'm prone to addiction because it is. It's an illness just like kidney disease. Correct. What, you know, there's these low points in your life. And then I think about when you get a transplant and you take prednisone, it can make you crazy sometimes, the emotional roller coaster. How did you deal with a day-to-day basis of not turning to drugs and alcohol? To see how my life was now compared to how it was then. Mm-hmm. That There's was, no comparison, right? There's no comparison at all. Right. I mean, you know, it's such a joy to wake up with a clear mind and, and wake up with a hangover, not knowing what you've done the night before and things like that. So it's just it's just a wonderful thing. I just it's just like a measuring thing, you know. If you take this life or that life, and I rather take the good did life all, any day. Did all your friends change? No, they didn't. You still have the same friends that you well, had before, or did some well, of your is, friends have to I, change? This is what I call my true friends. My true friends are still there. Mm-hmm. But, but, but what about your drinking buddies? No. No, you, they didn't want to be around you. They didn't want you to be change around those with for renal support network that's friends right, now, that's right? right? That's right. Yeah. Well, th- this is a fascinating story. Now, you told us that you had met your donor's family. I have met my donor family. What was the situation? Who was the donor? My donor was a 39 year old white male. He was working construction at a state park lodge in uh, Paris, Arkansas. It's called Mountain Magazine. He fell out of a 
Crane. He right, was like a cherry picker. Cherry picker, that's what I was trying to say. And uh, he got killed, and so his family had decided, you know, to donate his organs. And I got one of his kidneys, and another one of his kidneys went to New Orleans. Really? Yes. So what was the reunion like? It was a real nice, it was, uh, we had a big write-up. It was in Fort Smith, Arkansas, and uh, we all met there one uh, Saturday afternoon. And July 15th, we all met that Saturday afternoon. So did the other kidney recipient no. meet there, no, too? No, I was oh, the only one wow. that, yeah, yeah. Wow. So I got a nice Italian family now. Really? <laughs> yeah. I got three sisters I never had. I'm my only child, and now I'm a, I got a granddaughter that I never would have had. And you, you know, changed so. your name to Barbara Walkie-Teeny. <laughs> Walkie-Teeny, huh? That's a Do you one. like spaghetti, or do you like Italian food? I love it. Yeah, I love A lot it. more now since yeah. he's had the transplant. I know. So how did you find your donor? I mean, your deceased donor's family. Well, it's a, it's a place I work for now, Aurora. They have a donor family council, and, you know, you write a letter to, mm-hmm. to, the, to Aurora, and they write a letter to the donor family and let them know that they give them, the donor family, my letter. And if they want to make contact with you, they, they will. They'll write back to Aurora, and they arrange the meeting. Mm-hmm. So it, t- it took about a year for us to, to, to hook up and meet. Were you but, nervous when you were just getting ready to meet with them? Yes, I was. I was soaking wet. Oh, it was gosh. hot that day, well, and I was soaking wet from the humidity and nervousness. And you know, everything. I grew up in the South. That humidity can be yes, a killer. It can, yes, yeah. it can it be. It really can. I grew up in the South, and it was horrible. I'm so glad I, <laughs> I'm out of there. Yeah. So it was a positive experience meeting his very family and experience. being able to share their yeah. gift and what it gave to right. you. And it really did change your life. man who looks so healthy now mm-hmm. and they just say, gosh, we really did some good. Yeah. yeah, we spent holidays together, Thanksgiving. I'm going up there next week to uh, spend Easter with them. So, you know, it's, I'm part of the family. Oh, you wow. know? Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing that I would like you to share with the listeners is there are a lot of people out there who have kidney disease who are struggling with addiction. Maybe you could tell them a little bit of what they need to do and, you know, how do they go about it and maybe some words of encouragement. Well, the first thing I would tell the people that are struggling with addiction is to, uh, there is help out there. There's a lot of rehab centers who want to accept dialysis patients because they can't leave the facility to go to their dialysis place. But there are other avenues that you can get help. You know, and to talk to your social worker and ask them to do anything they can if you know that you want help, you know, that you know you need help. The other interesting thing is I know when you get on a transplant list that they make you jump through hoops, you know, medically to make sure you're medically sound to have a transplant. So were they aware of your past drug habits? Yes, they were, yeah. And when you used drugs, did you you ever use them intravenously? No, I didn't, no. So it was always all by mouth, By mouth, right. Okay, so so you didn't have the problem with using needles and stuff like that? No, 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 no. Did they check your liver and all that kind of right. stuff? Everything was checked out and um, everything. Well, I was fine after I, you know, quit quit the drinking and the drug and everything mm-hmm. was fine, you know. Well, you're one of the lucky yes. ones. Do you ever have the urge to use anymore? Has it been removed? Or do you have to constantly the still go to has, meetings? The session has completely been, been removed, but I still attend meetings for myself and for other people just to spread the word about alcoholism, to educate other people, new people coming into AA. You know, I have a meeting on every Friday night for newcomers, mm-hmm. people just starting, you know, with their, with their problems. Well, the remarkable story of Bobby Walker, right. I tell you are remarkable because I can't even imagine starting dialysis 
And then having to give up, you know, something that you've been used to and transform your life. Because I've traveled throughout the country and I've met a lot of patients who are, have addiction problems. And it's so difficult for them because they're depressed. And I mean, I think it's absolutely amazing that you were able to become sober after starting dialysis only for a month. Is that just Yeah, I mean, amazing? it's pretty amazing anyway. You give up so much being on dialysis, a lot of your freedom, a lot of the things you can't do that you used to do. And then having to give up that at the same time makes it even doubly hard because everybody knows how hard it is to kick whether your addiction is drugs, alcohol, food, Cigarettes. Cigarettes or, or like Lori, M&M's. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it's pretty amazing. So, like, now when you go out to dinner, there's no urge to have a, a one glass of wine. No, it's, it's totally, totally gone. Because I still fight those urges every day. You know, when I was trying to lose weight, I always said, people would say to me, well, why don't you just stop? Stop eating the bad things. I said I'm like an alcoholic. But the difference between people who are addicted to food and alcoholism is that you can stop alcohol. You can live without alcohol. So it would be like me saying to an alcoholic, well, you can only have three glasses of wine a day, one at breakfast, one at lunch, and one at dinner. <laughs> so there's always that temptation every time right. you eat a meal to eat a little bit more. So it's very difficult, and I really identify with how tough it is to lose weight and to stop something that you are totally addicted to. So we are my hats off to you. Yes, Bobby, I've gotten to know you over the years, and you're absolutely remarkable. You're an inspiration to all people especially people who have kidney disease, and I'm proud to know you. And we actually have a petition going around this meeting here that we are going to change your name to The Remarkable Bobby Walker. What's the secret ingredient for delicious yet healthier meals? Why, Mrs. Dash seasoning blends, of course. The 12 varieties of Mrs. Dash are all made up with a unique blend of 14 natural herbs and spices to make side dishes snap, potato pop, and dinner days unbelievable. And since Mrs. Dash has always been salt-free with no MSG, you can create great-tasting meals full of only one thing, mouth-watering flavor. Here's an easy-to-make, healthy recipe idea. Coat some boneless chicken breast in a mixture of Parmesan cheese, breadcrumbs, and Mrs. Dash original blend. Saute in extra virgin olive oil until done. Then give a small squeeze of fresh lemon juice and serve over your favorite pasta. Doesn't that sound good? Well, for more information, visit MrsDash.com. Mrs. Dash, salt-free, flavorful. Can you imagine that he continued to do drugs and alcohol a month into dialysis? I mean, it's amazing that he even decided to change his life. Can't imagine what it's like a month after dialysis because I was two years old. That first month is the most difficult. Oh, I know. And he was and drinking then, and, and doing drugs. Saying, oh, but, wow. the, you know, the thing that turned him around was, of course, that guy dying that he used to see and became friends with David, I think his name yes. was. And uh, I always say you have to hit bottom. Right. And that was his hitting bottom because maybe if David didn't pass away, way or didn't disappear, uh, he would still be doing drugs or alcohol. Everybody has something to teach us, don't they? Yes, especially math teachers. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. 
we can make a difference. Renal Support Network would like to thank everyone who has made this show possible. Kidney Talk's founding sponsor is Amgen. Generous support is provided by Roche Pharmaceuticals and Estellas. Friends of Kidney Talk are Abbott Laboratories, American Region, and Fresenius Medical Care North America. Thank you for helping us stream health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. Visit rsnhope.org for more information. The opinions, recommendations, statements, and advice contained on Kidney Talk are for information only. You should not use the information on the show to diagnose or treat a health problem or disease without first consulting with a qualified health care provider. Please consult with your health care provider about any questions or concerns you may have regarding your condition or dietary regimen.